You're listening to the Every Student, Every Day podcast with me, Jim Franchini, Superintendent of the Averill Park Central School District. Welcome to this episode of the Every Student, Every Day podcast. Um, as the calendar turns to April, we start to talk more and more about the budget. The process for us starts over many months and takes many months, but uh, from the public point of view, you really start to see a lot more information coming out around now. Um, from the time this podcast drops until the budget vote, we have about six weeks. So we're really in the, the home stretch of developing and, and informing the community about the budget so that you can make an informed decision uh, at the vote on May 16th. So we thought we'd spend this episode talking to uh, our assistant superintendent for business, uh, and our assistant superintendent for teaching and learning, just to kind of give our, our listeners a little bit of insight into uh, the process for the budget, how this year's budget looks, and the kind of financial side, and then the impact of those uh, decisions and that information on the instructional side. So thank you to uh, Matt and Carrie for joining us here. We'll give you a chance to uh, say hello and to introduce yourself. Carrie, do you wanna go first? Sure, I'm Carrie Nyshevy, the Assistant Superintendent for Business. Thank you for joining us. And this is Carrie's second budget with the district uh, since joining us uh, fairly recently. Matt, how about you? And I'm Matt Haleden. I'm the Assistant Superintendent for Teaching and Learning, uh, just finishing my fourth year in the district. Welcome, welcome. So let's start with kind of a quick rundown of where we are in the process of developing the budget for the 23-24 school year, which as I mentioned earlier, is gonna go out to the community for a vote on May 16th. Carrie, can you talk to us a little bit about the where we are in the process? Sure, so we start the budget process in around November and we work through the winter working with our administrators, non-instructional and instructional for feedback. We are at the point where we've pre presented a proposed budget to the Board of Education, I've had some discussion with them. I'll be looking to present the final budget to the board on April 17th to have them approve it. And that's the vote, the budget that will go out to the voters in May. If you could step back for a second, I know you get uh, very much into the weeds, literally line by line with our budget. But stepping back for a second, kind of from a higher level uh, point of view, can you take us through the process of building the budget that eventually goes out to that vote? The budget process we use is a very collaborative one. We work closely with all of our administrators, both non-instructional and instructional, to get feedback in terms of what uh, their needs are for the upcoming school year. So we you know, send out budget sheets for them so they make requests, but we do meet with them all individually to talk about any uh, staffing changes they might want, uh, programmatic changes, and we work through all of those in terms of when we budget we, the expense side. So we meet with them, get their feedback, and put together a budget. On the flip side, though, there's also the revenue side of the budget. And really, it's the revenue that's going to be able to dictate our expenses because we really only have two main sources of revenue, the tax levy and state aid. And once we get those figures, um, then we're able to see how much we can support. And then we go into the expense side and make any adjustments that we need to and to meet, be able to match our revenue. Great. Thank you. Um, for those who pay attention to the budget process sort of outside of Averill Park, there's been a lot of talk this year about the fully funding of foundation aid. What does that mean to education as a whole, for all the schools in New York State, kind of across the board? And then what does it mean to us here in Averill Park? 
So the foundation aid formula was first implemented in the 2007-8 school year and up until next year, it's never been fully funded. And the formula was developed is to be to create an equitable way to distribute aid across all the districts in New York State. So beginning with next year, it's the last year of the phase and of the formula, uh, then and it's going to be a significant increase to districts across the state. It's a $2.7 billion increase statewide, which is the largest increase we've had. Um, but there's different situations that each district in New York State is in. So there's districts who are going to have significant increase to their own foundation aid because they've been underfunded per the formula and the, the metrics that are in there. There's a group of districts that are overfunded per the formula. And then there's also a group of districts that are getting smaller increases um, per the formula, but below the proposed 3% hold harmless amount. So Abel Park, we're in the situation where we are due a small increase in foundation aid, but it's below that hold harmless threshold of 3%. So our increase will default to the 3%. Of course, this is all proposed at this point, um, in which case we'll get about a little over $500,000 uh, increase in our foundation aid, which is not enough to sustain all of our expenses. So we're starting this year uh, with, we started this year with a deficit, um, primarily because our tax levy and their state aid, the two sources, main source of revenue are not enough to keep up with our expenses. Thank you. Yeah, that's something that we have, we have known for a long time here that uh, there's been a call to fully fund that formula. And we've kind of known all along that if that was the case, Haverhill Park would not necessarily be one of the big winners. We know that some of our neighboring districts are receiving uh, double digit increases, 10, 12, 20% increases in foundation aid, and we are not. So we're in a very different situation. There are, as we know, many school districts who are in our boat and receiving that, that hold harmless amount, but there are certainly many districts, uh, including some in our surrounding area that are, are going to get a much higher increase this year than we are. You kind of alluded to it a little bit in your answer, I think, the impact of that deficit on staffing and programs. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about how that all works with this limited foundation aid as being a main revenue source, a small increase in revenue? How does that really impact us? So, you know, we're a people business. The majority of our expenses are in salaries and benefits. And when you have a deficit uh, that you start with this gap, the primarily primary way to close it is through reductions in staffing. So once we put together the expense side and we see our revenue picture, uh, we did have a gap because of the small increase in foundation aid. So we started looking at programmatic uh, or personnel changes that we'd have to make. So the, take a couple of things into consideration when we're looking at these. Uh, first, are we like to try to come up with ways that we can make reductions with the smallest impact to programs and students. We also look to see what are requirements, what are things do we have to provide? And then we also look at things such as attrition, people we don't have retiring from the district, and is there a way to not replace those positions? Because it's always just a little bit easier by not replacing a position if somebody's leaving in terms of cutting a position. So we take all of those things into account to come up with a list of uh, possible reductions within the district. This year, we do have 11 positions that we're not filling next year but we also have four positions that we're adding based on student needs. So we have a net reduction of seven positions in this budget um, for next year. That's, um, that's a good 
kind of, uh, I think, high-level description. And for more information on the stuff, it's available on our website in the budget corner. But the presentations that we've done to the board uh, as we've gone through this process, you've kind of mentioned the, the process in and of itself, presentation regarding non-instructional, presentation regarding instructional, presentation on some of the financial numbers, uh, a superintendent's budget, which is what is proposed to the board for their eventual adoption, and then sort of a budget discussion that we had at our last meeting and all that will eventually culminate into a budget adoption uh, very soon by the board. So switching over to you, Matt, Carrie mentioned that uh, you're gonna have to cut some staff and the overall numbers in net of seven, 11 positions down and then four in that our student need. What type of impact does that have on our students? As she said, we try to do the best we can to minimize uh, impact to students. That's what we're here for. So the decisions we have to make are always at the basis that uh, it's going to be student-driven and student-centered. Obviously, when you're cutting this number of people, there's going to be an impact. Can you talk a little bit to us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I, I think as Carrie alluded to, there's things that are we're required to do as a district, and they, they take the priority. But it doesn't mean that the you know the, the cuts that we are looking at don't have an impact. And I think that's what we're starting to work with now is the realization of what does life look like without these positions. Um, you know, we we're we targeted um, some of our intervention teachers at both our middle school and elementary schools. Those are not required positions, but they certainly provide services to students that um, are some of our most struggling learners. Uh, so we're able, we're not able to provide the level of service that we've done in the past. Um, that's looking at literacy and math support. So some of our early readers, um, we're, we're not able to get as deep as we'd like to. Uh, included in those cuts are teachers that teach electives, uh, exploration courses, things that help our students learn about what their interests are, they, their discovery courses, um, their interest-based courses, things that might uh, steer a high school student into a career path down the road. So we do see you know, the impact of that in, in other ways. While they're not mandatory, they're not required, um, they certainly are providing, I think, a stronger base of opportunities for our students. And you know, we, we see the reduction impacting that as well. So uh, it, it hurts, it's a challenge and, and it's, it, it, we will have to kind of get creative with how we kind of fill in those gaps, but it impacts um, all kids, all levels. Uh, we try to spread it across. So it's not just at one level, we have cuts at, at, at elementary, middle and high school. Um, and it's, uh, you know, different content areas from early literacy all the way up to science electives. Thank you. And I think for us, we, we take, as we talk about a lot on this podcast, it's the, the name of the podcast, we try to meet the every student every day, which is our mission statement of meeting the needs of and creating opportunities for every student every day. The part you kind of talked about and focused on there, I think a little bit was the opportunities component with the electives, really kind of impacting what kids are able to get exposed to as they go through their K-12 journey. The other part of that, which you mentioned, is the needs of and that's a big area for us, right? And we know coming out of the pandemic with COVID, we've had the learning loss issue. We actually spent a lot of our stimulus money on positions that were aimed at uh, minimizing that impact and trying to provide kids with the instruction they needed, especially at the elementary level, especially in the area of literacy. That's one of the areas that's going to be impacted this year and as we project further out. Can you talk about those um, areas where we're going to have to compensate for the loss of people, namely elementary intervention services. 
Right. So, I mean, as you said, that, that was absolutely a focus of our stimulus funds. That's, I would say, I think it's fair to say a majority of our stimulus funds went to intervention services, bringing teachers back that, um, quite honestly, we were looking at having to reduce uh, two years ago. We were able to save those positions with stimulus funding and beef up our intervention services to address the issues around learning loss that occurred during stimulus. So we're kind of right back where we are, where we were, where we were headed. Um, and really in the meantime, over those past two years, we have developed a very strong uh, RTI process, a response to intervention process that has been addressing the, the, the strongest needs of our struggling learners. Um, I guess in, in some regards, the fortunate side is we've now built a really great system uh, for identifying those students and getting them the services we need. The downside is we won't be able to go as deep with providing those services as we've, as we've done in the past. So um, one of the things that we've used as a, a threshold for when a student, student gets uh, RTI services, we'll probably have to lower that threshold a little bit so it'll be less students. Uh, and quite honestly, we'll have to get creative. I mentioned that earlier. We'll have to get creative with how we uh, utilize classroom time. Um, we have something called win, win time that is part of our daily schedule that stands for what I need. And uh, we'll have to work with our classroom teachers to deliver more of that uh, in-classroom intervention support as well. And, and that's at a different level than a pullout service, but it's something that we'll have to take advantage of that time that we have to help students get those skills that are, are so critical at the elementary level. So it's going to be getting creative, um, trying to do more with less or at least do the same with less. And uh, I think we're, we're still in the early stages of what that will look like, but try, and, try to take advantage of the schedule that we have and the people that we have. We have some great minds. We have unbelievable support, great workers, great teachers that um, care about our kids and what they can do in the classroom. So uh, I think when uh, we get through this next phase of this is the budget, this is who we have, we'll start thinking about what it could look like in our elementary classrooms. Yeah, thank you. And, and I think what's you know it's painful when you're losing those type of services. I think what makes it even worse for us is that we've built a really, really solid intervention system here. And we have data to back up that it's working and that it's benefiting kids. So as we start to kind of dismantle it, it makes it even harder to do, but it just means we're gonna have to be more creative and uh, really work through those challenges the best we can so that we can to meet the needs of our kids because we know the needs aren't going away. And in fact, from what we've been able to gather, perhaps they're going to be increasing as we look at the kids that are coming to us who are currently in pre-K programs. We know uh, that they're coming to us with more significant needs than they have in years and that we're able to, to tell that already. Um, the process itself, we talked to Carrie a little bit about the process and, and part of that was talking to her administrators about wants, right? Some of those things that um, they feel they could really use and needs, some things they thought they really, really needed to have. Uh, we are a pretty lean district overall when you talk about staffing, you talk about administration. Um, so we had some things that were kind of, we thought really going to be beneficial to students and have a direct impact on kids. Can you talk about what some of those things were? Unfortunately, none of these things are included in the budget, but um, what were some of those things and maybe kind of where did you see them being the most needed or most crucial if we were able to add? Yeah, that's it's hard to talk about because it's it's really the things that we really, really want. And now they, <clears throat> they feel further down the list because, you know, obviously, things like intervention services kind of take priority when you do have funding. So to get to this next level, 
Uh, you wonder when you'll be able to do it. But I think there's there's three positions that I know in my mind have been they've been on the list for a couple of years. So these are things that we want to do. Um, having a social worker at the elementary level is um, we, we do not currently have one for our K-5 level. Um, we know, as you just mentioned, kids are coming to us with much greater needs than we've seen in the past. And we want to provide that kind of that um, wraparound support uh, for our students beyond just academic um services services that an intervention or special ed provider could do or beyond just counseling support that social worker really wraps everything together it's the academic it's the uh behavioral it's the family it's all those pieces so having that person available for our elementary students would be a tremendous addition for the district um, we've also talked about having uh, a specialized orchestra teacher that's one that we've talked about for a few years we have a, a great music program um, but we have not been able to hire anyone with specialty area and strings. Um, so I, I kind of talked about it. It's akin to, you know, a biology teacher trying to teach chemistry. They, they could probably do it, um, but it's not their skill area. It's similar when you have, you know, a, a, a vocal or an instrumental teacher trying to teach strings. It's, it's kind of outside of their wheelhouse. Um, and we think that an orchestra teacher would really help that program tremendously. And then the third one is one that I, I know I've been beating the drum for quite a bit was, is a business teacher at our high school. Uh, we do not currently have a business program at our high school. So really no way for our high school students to explore, you know, areas that I think are, you know, really strong in this world, some career paths that I think a lot of students are interested in around marketing and management and accounting, uh, business law. Those are, are all courses that we know schools of our size are offering their students that we've not been able to because we've not been able to add a business teacher. So those are three that I know have been on the wish list for now two years um, and will probably continue to be until we're able to fill it, um, that I think we would look for any opportunity that we had to be able to bring them in. Yeah, I think things that we view as uh, not exactly fluff or uh, extravagant, but things that we think would really add to uh, students' experience in a really positive way and uh, make us more competitive uh, with local schools in terms of what we're offering. And uh, as we look to continue to, to evaluate and add what we can. Uh, Carrie, switching back to you for a bit, you know, we look at the future and fully funding a foundation aid that's now happened. It's kind of been something on the table for years. I think many people thought we never were going to get it. Now it's here. We're in the hold harmless category. What is the long-term outlook for state aid? I know this really does vary year to year, and we see it literally not just year to year, but within budget cycles as the state's uh, tax revenue goes up or as uh, recession hits. The, these things really fluctuate year to year. Some of our big drivers like the teacher retirement system and employee retirement system contributions go up and down, health insurance, all these things are so outside of our control. State aid, certainly one of those. Is there any way that you could project what the outlook, outlook looks like as of now for state aid and what that could mean for us kind of as we go through the future projections? So I think the best indicator is the governor, when she presented her budget, there's a multi-year budget forecast included in there. And going into next year, the state aid increase for schools is about 10%. So that's with the full phase of the formula. The couple of years thereafter, the increase is ranging around 4%. So after this next year, when the, a lot of districts are getting this big windfall, it's gonna level out and the increases are gonna be much more modest. Yes, thank you, Carrie. That's, uh... That is the outlook I think that I've kind of been hearing too from my end 
uh, in meetings with uh, superintendents as well. So it, it is something certainly for us to keep an eye on and monitor in terms of which way this goes. These little increases and decreases and changes really have a really significant impact on us because so much of our budget, again, is out of our control in terms of um, contributions for retirement or health insurance or those type of things. And we have collectively bargained contracts and we have we have so many factors that we're trying to take in. So when we get these these things that we know really drive our revenue. It is important to us and we try to very hard to be good stewards of the, the taxpayers money and keep things as reasonable as we can because we understand um, the, this is real money and it's in, important to make sure that we are doing what we can for our community uh, from a financial side as well. Uh, one of the questions that we're asked often is how do people get involved, how do they advocate? That's certainly something that we appreciate. And the simple answer is certainly come to board meetings and to contact your local uh, elected officials. Uh, for us, that's really three main people. Uh, on the assembly side, Scott Bendette is newly elected and represents the vast majority of our district. Uh, some of our community is represented by John McDonald. That's a smaller section uh, of our district, but John does represent some. And then on the uh, Senate side, uh, Jake Ashby represents our district. So we certainly encourage people to uh, reach out to those folks and uh, engage with them in discussion. And uh, we thank them for all their efforts. Uh, we've been in very close contact with Scott in particular, and he's done a great job for us. Well, Matt and Carrie, thank you. Uh, certainly a busy time here for us, and I appreciate you taking some time out of the day to kind of talk to our listeners. Uh, we thought we'd do our budget episode uh, perhaps a little bit earlier than the past because there's a lot of talk about this out there right now as we are making cuts and trying to do it in a responsible manner that meets the needs of our taxpayers, meets the needs of our students, and does it the best we can. So thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. See you next time on Every Student, Every Day.